Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the podcast where we completely overanalyze all of your favorite pop stars, then rank them in the official Pop Pantheon. This is your host, DJ Louis the Fourteenth, and I want to welcome you to a very special episode. But before I get into that, I want to do my normal rundown of housekeeping things. Guys, if you are in LA, come and see me DJ at my new party next Friday, April 22nd at Resident in downtown LA. It's called Gorgeous Gorgeous. It's a queer party, but we're welcoming all allies in as well. We'd love to have you. I'm going to be playing all your favorite pop hits all night. Obviously, lots of pop girlies, mostly girls, maybe a Charlie Puth song. Who knows? And it is going to be so much fun. I put this thing together with my friends, Fran, Omri, and Lala. We've been working so hard on it. It's going to be so fantastic. We have incredible drag performers coming. And if you do come, please make sure you come say hey to me if you're a Pop Pantheon listener because we're family. So I want to meet some of you guys and I want to play great music for you. Tickets are cheap. Link for that will be in the show notes of this episode. They'll also be on social media where you should go follow us at Pop Pantheon Pod on Instagram and me at DJ LOUIEXIV on both Instagram and Twitter. Don't forget to leave comments on Apple Podcasts about whether you'd like a fast-tracked episode on either Mariah Carey or Usher. We're closing that vote in the near future whenever Russ tells me it's time to close it. And that's it. This is a special episode. I was so enthralled reading so many great reviews of Charlie XCX's Crash. And I know we've already done our Charlie episode, but I know this is an album that so many listeners of the podcast are into and have tons of thoughts on. So when I read the brilliant Owen Myers' review in Pitchfork, I thought, great opportunity to have him on and we could just kiki a little bit about Crash, how we're feeling about it, where it stands in her discography, how it's altered her trajectory as a pop star in any meaningful ways, and just sort of get into it about Crash. So here's that conversation with Owen Myers. Uh-huh. I am here with freelance music writer. He's written for Pitchfork, Guardian, New York Times. It's Owen Myers. Owen, welcome to Pop Pantheon. Hey, Louis. I'm really happy to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I'm super stoked to have you on because you wrote a what I thought was a fantastic review of Charlie XCX's new album, Crash and Pitchfork. And I know that it is an album that many listeners to this podcast are filled with emotions, feelings, and thoughts on. And I figured when I read it, I was like, you know, we have already done a full episode on Charlie, so I definitely recommend people go back and check that out if they haven't. But I thought this was a good opportunity with someone with your pedigree and your thoughts that you put into this to kind of give a little bit of an update on where we are with Charlie now that we have a new record and just to sort of talk a little bit about Crash with you. It's so interesting you say that because there is so much to dig into with Charlie. She's lived so many lives within Mm -hmm. the decade or so that she's been making music. Yeah, she never fails to give us something to sink our teeth into. For sure. I mean, it's like her music is interesting on its own. And then like the narratives that sort of circle around her are like equally intriguing to me. And I know... One of them, and I think this album really gives us a fantastic opportunity to dig into this a little bit, is what I sort of feel like is the ongoing conflict in the super narrative of Charlie and then maybe also within Charlie herself between what I feel like is her sort of like nonconformist iconoclastic instincts 
as a pop musician and then sort of like what I sense is a desire to also be a bigger superstar than she is and maybe a push and pull that's gone on with that throughout her career. Does that register for you? No, 100%. And I think since she put out the Vroom Vroom EP in 2016, she's been carving this avant-garde lane of working with producers like Sophie and like A.G. Cook and later on I'm he- and how I'm feeling now with 100 Gex. And she's kind of done that in like a parallel pathway to some of her other more mainstream moves. Like it's so crazy that she put out her mixtapes, her two kind of genre-defying, hyper-pop-defining mixtapes, Number One Angel and Pop 2, in 2017, the year later, she goes and supports Taylor Swift on her stadium tour, right? So there's Mm -hmm. been these kind of parallel pathways, like, kind of coexisting for Charlie for at least half a decade or more. And I think Crash is kind of an effort to synthesize those, but it kind of is not quite, it's Charlie, so it's never quite as seamless as that, you know? There's still kind of wrinkles and there's still bits that are kind of too iconoclastic to fit into a mold. You know, she's posited this record, as you said, she has this long history of these kind of parallel tracks in her career. And you said past half decade, I frankly can trace it to the beginning because you have True Romance, her debut album, which like is a non-conventional pop record. It codes as pop, but if we're talking about the sounds of 2013, mainstream, successful, sort of like main pop, girly pop, doesn't really sound like that. It's more in conversation with, you know, the other REL records of that period to me, like uh, like Haim and Sky Ferreira and whatever. Like it felt definitely left of center. Then you've got the boom clap, I love it, sort of sucker era. You know, so that felt like maybe slightly more of a pivot towards trying to be in conversation with what was actually happening in mainstream pop. So I feel like that narrative, those two parallel tracks have been going on her whole career. And I had this thought listening to Crash the other day that I wonder what you think about this just kind of historically speaking, that like perhaps there was maybe, I don't know, I'm thinking about maybe the big pop stars of the 1980s, for instance, there was an easier way for them to like be more idiosyncratic in what they did and mainstream audiences would kind of have to follow them where they were going If you think about Janet, I always am bringing her up on the show, but you think about Madonna (laughs) and all of her big album eras and she would come out with these like really clear perspectives that I guess in the peak of her fame were in conversation with other pop that was going on at the time. But it kind of felt like there was more ability for pop stars to be more idiosyncratic and just everyone kind of had to come along. And I feel like mainstream pop stardom these days you can't do that. Like you have to play the game more squarely and like do certain things and sound a certain way, not to be a successful pop star, which I would posit Charlie already is, but I mean, you kind of have to play the game more if you want to be played on the radio, if you want to be on the hot 100, if you want to be sort of in the real, real center center of the sound of pop, you have to play a very, very specific game and sound a specific way is what I'm trying to say. So as I was listening to crash this, last few weeks I was thinking to myself she's positing this as like hey this is my main pop girly era but I still don't hear a ton of what 
pop today sounds like to me. Right. I get yeah. that it's less avant-garde than Vroom Vroom, but if we're talking about her 80s nods, if we're talking about the 90s house sounds of Used to Know Me and the Rita Sawayama song, that's not really like what Olivia Rodrigo sounds like. That's not what like Little Nas X sounds right. like. Do you know what I'm saying? It's light years away from what Doja Cat or Ariana are making. Exactly, or, exactly. You know, <laughs> um, or, or these artists that get played all the time on pop radio. And I, I think what you're, you're really right to say that in the 80s, pop stars did lead the way and now people are a little more cautious and I think that kind of just speaks to like the shift in the age in which we live in right we live in an age where we know what's trending and labels and head honchos and managers have instant ways of seeing feedback of what is trending and what is hot right now and that's a blessing and a curse because you know, the internet has been great for artists for a lot of reasons, but it can be a curse when you're trying to chase what's trending, right? Totally. So I think the Janet comparison is like so pertinent because Charlie's referenced Janet so many times, as Britney did before, and mm-hmm. as most artists rightfully so yes. as tinashe right. does as so as most artists should because her influence on pop can't be overstated and there are some really fun callbacks to specifically control in this record that kind of speak to charlie's own deep understanding of pop past and present and give this 80s cameo meets new drag swing meets janet control palette to a lot of the album which i think really really suits her where do you see the janet references most clearly on crash i see it a lot actually in the title track Mm -hmm. just like to compare the control record with crash the record both those title tracks are right up front they both feature car crash sound effects in the second verse of the song control there's the line that janet sings i fell in love i didn't know what hit me and then there's the boom in charlie's title track there's similarly at the end I think there's a influence that you can hear in the synths, I think, of a song called Lightning, which is like a real cameo, candy-type, word-up throwback to me. little new order too i thought on that one totally and it has a little bit of that eurythmic spirit almost like Mm -hmm. where 
pop funk meets underground textures and i think she has such a presence as a vocalist that mm. it hits so immediately a lot of the time specifically on a song called lightning which i know is one of her favorites and i believe she opens the tour with she sure did and <laughs> <laughs> and i think it suits her voice so well that was something i wasn't expecting with the record is such a deft tribute and update to some of those songs from the 80s I love. Yeah, I agree. I definitely hear Janet. You know, interestingly, almost more Jimmy and Terry than Janet herself on songs like Crash and on New Shapes because... Charlie sings pretty differently than Janet does. Like, Janet's all about (laughs) the coup and lightness, and Charlie really, like, smacks you over the head with her, like, bratty (laughs) vocal styling. What you want? almost like a shoutiness so they don't sing similarly but i feel like i totally agree with you that the production on crash the production on new shapes to some degree also on lightning like definitely feels indebted to jimmy and terry i also think it was interesting that you brought up the eurythmics because i constantly feel like good ones sounds very much like sweet dreams are made of this redux or something like that sweet dreams are made lukewarm on the singles in general though in your review i actually was and i wonder how the the way we felt about this record leading up to it might have been different with different choices like what would you have wanted i think constant repeat is the best song on the record what do you like about that it just feels like bliss to me Kind of feels like the pop song that Vision Zero Grimes always wanted to make, and mm. I think there are some smart nods to. Maybe it's just me, but I hear a little of um, One Hit Wonder Ozone song. Do you remember that song? Oh, my God, I haven't thought about that in Something a very about long the... time. Yeah, well, <laughs> of now course that's I remember been that. stuck in my head by virtue of constant repeat. My... Charlie is such a student of novelty hits and always talks about the Venga Boys and she always talks about Eiffel 65 and things like that, that it wouldn't surprise (laughs) me if somewhere in her subconscious was that song that made its way in. I think Constant Repeat is like a lot of the best pop. It it feels really effortless, even though it's such an intricate song. Mm. I think it does Mm. some really interesting things with her vocals and she kind of experiments with higher register and moving away from, as you say, like her signature brash, shoutier style. You could have had a bad girl by your side. You could have had a bad girl, could have had a bad girl. 
I think it's like one of her best songs ever, actually. And that's really saying something because she has a turn. It's really interesting, too. When the record was rolling out originally, I was like, oh, she's doing like a full 80s record. Like that was what mm -hmm. I thought, having heard Good Ones, then we heard New Shapes. Then we got the Rina Sawayama song, and I was like, oh, and she's also kind of doing 90s like novelty <laughs> hits, as you were saying. <laughs> like, I mean, obviously, no greater 90s dance novelty hit than September's. Right. Cry for you. Yeah. You'll never see me again. And then obviously she straight up rips Robin S's Show Me Love as the sample on Used to Know Me, right? Which is so audacious that I feel like no one yes. could get away with it but her. Yeah. <laughs> It's really shameless. It is, but Charlie is shameless. And it's also fascinating to me that you're talking about her penchant for these novelty songs because mm. so many of those novelty songs, I feel like were the sort of basis for hyperpop. Like, mm -hmm. is there any greater precedent for hyperpop than like Barbie Girl? You know what I mean? Like, it's like, you know, these songs were obviously so foundational to what the ideas of hyperpop were. Totally. And like a, a song like Barbie Girl, you know, without wanting to get too student paper about it all, kind of like really no, please made... do. We're, we love that. <laughs> <laughs> really made fun of expectations for how to dress for a woman and poked fun a little bit about expectations and you want me to be this way well let me be the perfect plastic mm -hmm. like entity exactly. for you and it's funny because on this record she's really interested in her image being sexy and big hair and false lashes and high heels and lots of dancing and doing it all with a wink so mm. i think that is kind of uh you can take it straightforwardly or you can kind of take it with a little bit tongue-in-cheek as well yeah but for me she cares enough about what she's doing for it not to feel soulless and i think when some artists kind of start to satirize pop tropes you wonder if they actually like pop at all but with charlie it's <laughs> You know what I mean? That's like, never in doubt. That's never in doubt with Charlie, I don't think. That's the thing. And she knows her stuff. And she's worked with like a creative team that has really, I think, enabled her vision for this record as well. I know that she brought on Imogene Strauss as creative director, who previously worked a lot with Solange. And she obviously studied dancing and choreography. She was crushing it on the tour, yeah. Owen. I was fucking yeah. shocked. Like, <laughs> I was like, she is doing full choreo this entire show, every single song. And kind of killing it like she was really like yeah. putting her whole pussy in it i love to hear that and i think it adds like an, another dimension we know charlie is someone that curates records we know that she writes and she's behind the boards this 
for me is like another avenue where she can like express herself and add another dimension to the music and as a pop fan i love to see dancing i i love those moments and it's really rare you go to a pop show and we don't get nearly enough yes a lot of the main girls aren't doing those that's not really the style of the billies or the olivias and you know maybe the dominant mood has shifted slightly away but charlie along with a couple of others like you know doja cat really dances like oh yeah 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 so her along with a couple of others are bringing a little bit of that theater back to pop performance Mm. which which i really appreciate i'm interested actually you're making me think of something that kind of plays into my earlier point which is charlie has obviously continuously both I think somewhat seriously, somewhat not posited this as her quote main pop girly era. Obviously there's a tongue in cheek element to that, but I also feel like it undergirds a certain sort of tension in her where she does think she should be a more mainstream success. What I'm wondering is Charlie's had a very interesting, I think historical relationship to like writing from a personal place. And if there's anything that sort of defines modern mainstream pop stardom for the most part again there's exceptions to this i think dua lipa maybe is an exception to this perhaps doja cat is also an exception to this but if you're thinking of olivia if you're thinking about billy if you're thinking about even little nas x to a certain degree a huge impetus on pop stars these days is like is this music personal i mean this is the kind of post taylor swift generation of stars where Mm -hmm. it's like the personal narrative being in the work seems kind of fundamental to the success we want our pop stars to feel like people that we like know on these multi-dimensional levels and like connect their tabloid and celebrity narratives to like what we're hearing in the music i was listening to crash in the car with my sister who's kind of obsessed with this idea and like doesn't accept the idea that not all songwriting has to be personal Mm -hmm. and and she's all cued into like charlie's breakup and she watched the documentary and she knows that she might have a new boyfriend and so she's parsing (laughs) through crash being like is this a breakup song like is this about the ex-boyfriend is this about this and i'm like she's kind of been out here saying that she's uncomfortable writing from a personal place and like doesn't think pop should necessarily be that way however her last record how i'm feeling now i feel like was kind of her foray into writing Mm -hmm. more personal music do you find this record to be personal or do you kind of think that it's all meant to be a celebration of the universality or maybe the artifice that pop can give us? I think that it's a little of both. I think in general, if you're kind of combing through this record looking for clues to Charlie's personal life, it might take a more like forensically minded student of pop than <laughs> myself. But I do think yeah. that there are moments where if you know about Charlie's life and if you know about some of her pre-public relationship with her ex-boyfriend that was featured in the How I'm Feeling Now documentary Alone Together and stuff like that. I think if you know that, you might find little clues to it in songs like Every Rule, which kind of seems Mm -hmm. like a pretty bereft, frankly, song about a relationship not going well. When I met you, it was tragic. Chemistry, something like magic. You were with somebody else long term, and I was with somebody else as well. Met up late night by the bar. Strangers and told no friends It wasn't easy to pretend And we know that it's wrong But it feels real fun Sneaking around Falling deep in love But sometimes I get scared Cause I know it's unfair I'm hurting someone else instead I'm breaking every rule for you 
about cheating, I was wondering? It seems to be about cheating or the temptation to cheat. And it's, it's never quite clear, I think, sometimes with pop, because, you know, artists do write from a character and artists do kind of do what's best in service of the song a lot of the time mm-hmm. and kind of do something for dramatic flair or whatever it might be. I think there's a line about hotel room sheets and cigarettes on the balcony, which is a really vivid image in my mind. Wonder if people will notice Such a fun so hard to focus Cigarettes up on the balcony Wrapped up in nothing but sheets And we know that it's wrong did that happen? I don't know, but it's an amazing lyric, you know? It really um, is. So it really sticks with you. I wouldn't want to, you know, hold her to such a high standard of writing her life, but I think it's interesting what you said in terms of the record title, which I think she said in her interview with Zane Lowe around the release, the title of the record was originally Sorry If I Hurt You, mm. which now appears as a bonus track. A really, really good one. Actually, one of my favourites on the record. I'm sorry if I decision to make that slightly off to the side as a bonus track that we got a week or so later makes me feel that she's more interested in the narrative of Crash as themed to this being her final record with Atlantic Records and the spectacle of the pop image than wanting to encourage necessarily a reading which is post-breakup record, no matter how victorious. I think that with artists, it's very appealing in a way to frame records in context of the narrative about their life. And sometimes it's, it's really enriching to the experience. Other times, I wonder if it gets into digging for something that's not always there. For sure. I just think it also belies sort of what I was talking about earlier, which is like she is positing this as her pivot back towards more accessible mainstream music Mm -hmm. but yet there's a brittleness towards doing what mainstream pop in 2022 sort of requires of a mainstream pop star like if you were gonna really do that you might actually want to play up the idea that this is a personal record. I mean, how many successful monumental albums of the last five or six years have been these grand statements of personal? I mean, I'm thinking about Lemonade as in my mind at this moment too, as like another moment where right. it's like the more personal we can get, the more access we can get to a pop star and the more we can connect these all these things together almost feels more important to me at this point than constructing perfect pop songs which is what charlie's so great at like Mm. you know you think about a billy eilish those are very strange songs many of them like on especially on happier than ever like these are not max martin style sort of like heat seeking missile pop records you know what i mean (laughs) but she's the biggest star in the world because i think people feel like there's something really personal about what she does and what she sings about how she sings about it whatever the themes she addresses so it's another one of these interesting moments for me with charlie where I'm like, it's so hard to tell like where this tongue in cheek ends, where her actual ambitions lie. She keeps claiming and framing this record around, hey guys, like I'm ditching my more avant-garde sounding, you know, hyper pop style and I'm mm-hmm. going for something more mainstream. And yet it doesn't feel mainstream to me still. It still feels like the music 
and I, I, this is what I want to circle back to the, my next question. The music doesn't sound to me very much in conversation with what is popular in popular music right now. And also the way she approaches pop stardom feels very resistant to what pop stardom requires of people these days. And I just find that to be a fascinating sort of like push and pull in her artistry and her music. She's pretty spiky. And she, in the lead up to this record, I think I started to roll my eyes a little bit because she was getting really sassy with fans online and I kind of love that about her I'd almost rather someone be a little more real and kind of clap back if there needs to be a clap back but (laughs) like she loves to sell I suppose the word in the self eulogize but she's not afraid of being really really confident and saying that her record is fucking banging and at the show she literally said I'm Charlie XCX and I'm the greatest pop star in the world right That's amazing. Until the record was released, that started to grate because I didn't know if the record would back it up, the out al- the yeah. full album. I don't know if it backs up her assertion that she is the greatest pop star in the world, but I love that she's making that claim. <laughs> I'm wondering, we've talked a little bit about the content of the lyrics, and we've also talked about how the record nods a lot towards a lot of 80s sounds to some novelty 80s and 90s hits. That clearly is kind of like the sonic palette. Obviously, there's a few still nods at the hyperpop stuff, especially I think in the way she records her voice. Um, the pre-chorus of Lightning is a good example, I think, of sort of where some of the hyperpop elements are still here in the mix. Heartbreak already hit me once, they say that. Twice has a little bit of a hyperpop vibe to it to me. But I'm curious if in the music, in the musical textures, in the aesthetics of the production, do you hear anything that feels in conversation with mainstream contemporary hit pop music? Well, I think something that I mentioned when I wrote about the record was just how much yuck sounds to me like Kiss Me More. (laughs) You did, you did talk about that. I don't want to start a narrative about that because I think it's amazing and the beauty of pop that things can draw from each other subconsciously or not. But that seems like a real, that could be like a really big hit Mm. on pop radio, actually. And it's interesting to me that she just posted, I think today, something on Instagram, which was a picture of her as a cheerleader saying that she was filming the Used to Know Me video, which for Mm -hmm. me would not have been my pick for the next single. That's fan service because that's the gay club hit and she knows who's listening to Crash. <laughs> Where it's about to be Pride season. And um, and also, like, Beg For You was kind of a hit in Europe. I know. Which was kind of, I suppose, shouldn't be so shocking to hear because it is such a Euro dance sound. Yeah, I guess I should be more specific to American contemporary right. pop yeah. sounds. That should have been my question. Yeah, no, I think, I, no, it's a really good question. I think I think that Yuck kind of does like a pop funk R&B thing that I could see on an album by a couple of her contemporaries. Otherwise, there's not a ton. I think it's really her in her own lane. Yeah, one of the weirdest moments for me on the record and most interesting kind of like new guises for Charlie on this to me is the song Move Me. Know I'm go 
that to me sounds a little bit like it's nodding at the R&B of 2006 or 7. <laughs> because when I first heard that beat, huh. the song that came to mind for me, Owen, was Omarion's Icebox. <laughs> oh my god, song? amazing song. That song's a classic. <laughs> And I was a little bit like, okay, I guess I really haven't heard Charlie in this Sonic universe before. That was like one of the more surprising references. And again, maybe I'm reaching on that one. But there's something about that stuttering synth that reminds mm-hmm. me of Justin Timberlake's My Love. And then by extension, I, more so the Armarian song, I suppose. Right. And the way I are and all of these big songs that Timberland yeah. was you doing and the kind of people that copied Timberland were then doing. That's an amazing reference. I mean, I think the the song Sorry I Hurt You, which I love so much, really reminds me of like everything but the girl and Robin mm. to every heartbeat. <laughs> like it has a little mm. of the kind of nocturnal coming home from the club on the subway energy. Yes. But maybe you're still a little wild, you know? Absolutely. I think Robin's always a great reference point to bring up for Charlie Mm -hmm. because if we're going to zoom out again and just talk macro, I don't think there's any pop star that has occupied such a similar space to the one Charlie operates in than Robin is because Robin to me is like the original, let's say of the last 10, 15 years is the original. I make pure pop music, but for some reason I can't quite click in or I don't want to click in or I don't know what it is to (laughs) being Katy Perry. You know what I mean? Like it's, (laughs) she's kind of like the godmother of this lane. And I think Charlie is like her most obvious progeny in this sense. Like she makes pure pop pop music Mm -hmm. and yet there's something either about the way she presents it or her lack of desire to play a certain game or her slightly avant-garde instincts that just sort of prevent either by choice or not by choice and I think this is the great quandary of the Charlie XCX career and discography (laughs) is like what is the goal what does she really want is she comfortable in this niche pop star avant pop star lane does she wish that things could be different does she wish the circumstances would be different Mm. and yet sort of like this also feeling that she isn't totally willing to or isn't a natural fit to like make future nostalgia this is the thing i mean i feel like this album moves her closer to the center of pop than just as an example christine and the queens and caroline polachek right who are sure, featured sure, on, sure, on sure, new sure. new shapes i think with charlie's last couple of records especially the mixtape she had developed this really loyal fan base or continued to develop this really loyal fan base, partly by virtue of being weird. And yeah. <laughs> and this record, I mean, it was, just to zoom out to the global really quickly, it was number one in UK, right. Ireland, and Australia. Right. And it was her first right. top 10 album in the States. And yes. I will say that a Q1 release is always more forgiving in terms of mm. chart positions. An artist can chart higher in quarter one because there aren't as many releases. But I think it kind of sets her up for a really interesting question of what will she do next, both because of the Atlantic 
Records contract coming to an end, but also because the record feels like a bit of a reset in a way. Mm. It feels like her revisiting some of the pop tropes that she might have shied away from in the past. Sometimes successfully, sometimes... I, I mean, I don't love Used to Know Me. There's a few songs on the record that I could live without or re sure. edit the album. After listening to this record, it's pretty clear that she's not a FK Twigs or a Caroline. No, you know what I, I mean? don't think she ever wanted to be. I mean, even right. in her most instinctual ways, and even when she was making her weirdest music, it's still more pure pop oriented than either of those artists are. I mean, Definitely. FK Twigs is not making a hook based, broadly written pop music. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I think even, even, I'm saying like, even at her weirdest, Charlie's always, as we've talked about, like a real student of pop and a real devotee of pop. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in where she goes next too, because I think that's a fascinating question that is just the continuing conundrum of Charlie is like, what's the ambition? What are her goals? In my personal opinion, we're too far into Charlie's career at this point for her to convert into being Dua Lipa at this point. Like, there's too much narrative there. There's too much mm-hmm. of an established persona there. I don't see Charlie becoming like a, at least in the United States anyway, becoming like an arena-stomping, chart-topping pop star. I just don't see it. And there is a part of me that wishes that she would embrace her role a little bit as an agitator and mm-hmm. that's a great place to be in pop. Like, if I were going to be a pop star, I would want to be Charlie X. You know what I mean? Like, I, would wa- I wouldn't want to be Dua Lipa. I'd want to be Charlie XCX. I'd want to be the person that everybody in the know knows is the best. Right. Everybody who is thoughtful about this music and this genre, you're their fave. And yet you're totally free from the pressures of having to play the irritating game of being Taylor Swift or being these big girls mm-hmm. and like what goes into that. But I think there's something unreconciled about that within Charlie. So I'm very intrigued also about where she goes next because I could very much see her trying to drive further towards something more accessible. And I could also see her totally like going left again. I mean, if she made... 12 tracks and put it out as a record in the vein of beg for you used to know me i would miss something i really would because i think what makes charlie charlie is the left field instincts and i think what her has like special source is is having such a deep knowledge of the mainstream pop industry from her own hits as well as her kind of songwriting right which I think is something that always percolates with her, that she has written Senorita, she has written songs for Blondie, she's written songs for the K-pop band twice. And Selena I feel Gomez, like... Selena Gomez, of course. Selena Gomez, right. And as well as having big hits on her own, sometimes with Icona Pop, sometimes with Iggy Azalea, and to be able to have done that, but also to work with OPN and to be able to work with... A.G. Cook and 100 Gex is she's at this kind of axis point of a lot of mm-hmm. roads intersecting. What I love about her is that she can pull from all of those. And yes, I think if she went too far, actually in either direction, I don't want her to be Dua Lipa, as you said, but also like I think that something would be lost if she was FK Twigs, you know, because FK Twigs does like has mastered that. So I think the uncategorized how do you say that word the uncategorizable <laughs> nature of her is i think her biggest strength do you think she knows that i wonder how comfortable she is with that that's, i, th- I, I think, think she, i think she knows it I, she's made some like pretty concerning at times posts on social media in the run-up to this record about feeling low and feeling bummed out and i wonder what artistic success looks like for her you know 
Like exactly, I, anyone I would be happy with a number one record, sure. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even the most avant-garde artists would want that, I think. But I wonder what the end game for her is. I feel like sometimes a record and an artist's point of view can come across so vividly in the live show that I can't wait to see it. I think it comes to New York next month or later this month. How was your experience? Like, what was the night like seeing that? So I did have the pleasure of seeing the show at the Greek last Sunday. Mm. And I think so much of what we were talking about is on display in the song choices. You know, if you're going to be a main pop girly, right? Okay, let's get back to that game, right? Like, (laughs) you're going on tour. You're giving the girls the hit parade. I mean, if you're going to play that game, that's your set list. This set list was every song from Crash. And the first half of the set list was pretty much exclusively songs from Crash Mm -hmm. and Gone, which given that the record has been out for maybe two weeks by the time we all got there, (laughs) was interesting. Of course, I still found myself, I'm listening to this record a lot, but I'm still getting inside of these songs. I think you've had Mm -hmm. a couple, maybe some extra time with it because of getting an advanced copy to review it. You know, I found myself a little bit frustrated with that. Like, Mm -mm -mm. it was fun, but given how much music... I love of Charlie XCX's. It wouldn't have been the set list. Obviously, my DJ brain's always going off and like, you know, knowing how you got to like give the crowd pleasers when they're needed. Like in that first half, I was like, baby, like, can we throw in? I'm not even talking about the Iconopop <laughs> song. I don't, I don't need to hear her right. do I love it. I don't want to hear her do fancy. But I was like, you know, can we get some of those great pop two songs in the mix? Can we yeah, get... Yeah, can we get an unlock it? Can we get yes, a, exactly. a something? Which she does do. She does do. The second half was more of a mix. And mm-hmm. she did unlock it. Of course, Vroom Vroom goes off in that setting as if it right. was the biggest song that has ever been released <laughs> ever, which is just... The most fun experience feeling 6,000 people like going nuts for that was truly iconic. And not for nothing, she crushed it. I mean, she was, as I said, so engaged the whole time, Mm -mm. like full out choreo. She was selling it. I was there for it. And I like many of these crash songs. So I wasn't like dissatisfied with that, but I just thought it was an interesting choice. Once again, given everything we've talked about for the last 45 minutes, which is just like, Mm. you're saying this is your sort of pivot towards being more of a crowd pleasing artist. And yet there's still this feeling of like, I don't want to look back. I don't want to give you everything that you want. I don't want to sort of just hate your pleasure centers. Like there was a different set list that could have come out here that would have spoken more to that other ambition. And that wasn't clear. That's really weird for me because, you know, she she's a little too young to do the Madonna thing of, yeah. only, you know, <laughs> the Madonna Madame X tour thing of only doing, yeah. doing uh, like Madonna's stubborn. And yes. yes, but she's earned that in a way. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting because Charlie actually does reference her past music a lot. She tweeted last year, I think there's going to be a, a song on this record for the true romance stands. Right. And which must be she, lightning. I guess. Yeah. I was trying to work Ariel it out. Produced it. That was her first re- like hookup with him again, I think since Sucker at least. I think, yeah, because he did doing yeah. it on Sucker. And Charlie met Ariel in LA when she was 15 years old, mm-hmm. which um, reading that fact, I was, it just goes to show how much this is in her blood, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and how long it's been. Yeah, I mean, she is a savant. I mean, I feel like yeah. she can write sticky pop songs in her sleep like she's Mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. like the best at it i mean it's just how many 
of the people we were talking about in 2009 are we still talking about, let alone getting number one records or top 10 records. And I think that yeah. is earned. You've probably had a month or month plus with Crash at this point. Where is it sitting with you in the Charlie canon? I think it could be my favorite charlie whoa studio oh, album apart from the two mixtapes no I'm, so, I'm i think we should include the mixtapes because i don't fucking buy that those are shouldn't be taken on the same marriage as an album that was the thing with charlie for me the album charlie i was like okay this is an album and yet it obviously feels like the third mixtape in mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. series with some like shitty pop songs thrown in the mix <laughs> or something <laughs> like with some like with some like shittier mainstream grabs in the mix like Baby, I don't need track 10 rewritten as like a Lizzo bop. Like that's, I'm, I'm, I could do without that. I personally do not care for 1999. There was some- d- I can I, generally I, I do without Lizzo and Troy, Sivan, but um, that's- <laughs> She did bring Troy out at the show. And, that's really fun. And totally tangentially, she also brought out Kim Petrus for Unlock It. And let me tell you, the ground shook. When Kim Petras no way, came out, really? I was like, Kim Petras' entire Spotify listening group is standing in this arena right yeah. now. I was standing in this theater. <laughs> but yeah, oh, okay, so this is top for you. If you include the mixtapes, where does it sit? Three, probably. Matt, I do love True Romance. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's three or four. Maybe it's below the two mixtapes and True Romance. I feel like, first of all, I am like the sucker apologist and I feel like I'm the only one. Like I loved Sucker. I thought Sucker was amazing. Sucker has some really cute moments. Yeah, I, okay, that's nice of you. <laughs> uh, there are songs I really love and there's some moments on Crash that really have the break the rules energy to me. Like there's there's a mm. little of that girl still in there. Oh yeah. I just think it's so interesting that she made this doom pop record a couple of years before Lord and Billy and that and then mm. completely like pivoted to this punky sound which is now you know like yes. courtesy of your machine guns <laughs> and uh, good for you like is now blowing up is there any record that presages good for you and brutal more right. than sucker so charlie has made music that is conversant with 2022 pop she just made it in 2014 or 15 yeah. or I mean, come on. If Olivia Rodrigo released Famous or, I don't know, some of those great sucker songs. Yeah, London Queen. I mean, only Charlie can do London Queen, but, like, that's a great song. Olivia could rename it Disney Queen or something like that. (laughs) What about you? Where does Crash sit in your ranking? So it's really grown on me. Frankly, the first few times through, I was a little, not mid. I'd say I was at like a seven. I was kind of A little diagonal face. Yeah, exactly. That kind of emoji. (laughs) I was missing some of the jagged edges and Mm. intensity of how I'm feeling now, which I fucking loved and really personal like I was Mm -hmm, missing mm -hmm. I was kind of missing some of the heft of songs like Enemy which is one of my favorite songs from that record
like a feeling that she was like a little bit opening up more. And then when I went to this, I was kind of like, okay, like this feels a little bit like we're back on the surface again, but without the fun pyrotechnics of pop right. two. But it's really right. grown on me. I mean, the consistency, I mean, to me, I at least like every single song on it. And mm-hmm. I'm also incredibly impressed with how fully they deliver at such short run times. Like that's not easy to do. Like I will often hear a contemporary song and many of them are now two minutes or two minutes and 15 seconds or whatever. And I'm like, oh, uh, 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 uh. I had right. this really intense experience with another artist that I think is tangentially related to Charlie, who is Carly Rae Jepsen. And I thought Carly Rae Jepsen's last full length album was like pretty disappointing in general but my favorite song on it was want you in my room which was like the kind of like it was like a little ace of bassy yes Mm -hmm. that was the one song for me that was like an a plus carly ray jepsen song on dedicated and i am constantly frustrated when i listen to it because i feel like it is lacking an ending like it just sort of fades out at the end of it and i'm like this mm-hmm. song needs a third chorus like we're ready for it like blah blah blah. And it ends at like two minutes and 45 seconds or something like that and i only posit that to say there are numerous songs on crash that are like two and a half minutes or shorter and yet i find them fully satisfying in a way that i think speaks to charlie's pop prowess Another good example of, I think, that highlights this is Chromatica, another album I find kind of mid, but I find a lot of those songs unsatisfying because this is a house record. I feel like certain songs on this record would have benefited from being like six minutes long and giving you more of that kind of build and release that like a house song is meant to give you and they just feel very truncated to me. So I again, I only point all of this out to say I'm so impressed with how fulfilling these songs feel at their abbreviated lengths and how satisfying this album feels being 32 minutes long or whatever. I mean, uh, all the Phil Spector girl groups used to do two minutes and 20 second songs and like they won the worst for it. And, you know, that is doable. And maybe one more time is three minutes and 30 seconds. And I think that was like the golden rule for pop length for a while. But in this era, I think attention spans are all shot. And if you can make a great song in two minutes and 20 seconds, do it. And I just love that lightning just ends with a clap of lightning and you're done. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Absolutely. These songs are all business. She gets everything done. I mean, it's very, yeah, it's very don't bore us, get to the chorus, you know? Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And listen... I like that. I'm into that. I'd say this record is below pop two for me. Definitely like it better than Charlie. I'd say I probably prefer it to number one angel. As you know, I have a soft spot for sucker. So it's near the top for me and, it, and I'm growing in appreciation. for it. Mm-hmm. I think the live show, weirdly enough, even though I was complaining about the set list really helped some of the songs click for me. And I actually think twice is quite touching. And I was going to wonder if maybe we should go out on twice. Cause I actually think that was one of the moments that I immediately gravitated to as one of the most like emotionally available songs on the record. And I can't remember who said this, but I think it was Hazel Sills on podcast said that perhaps it was a dedication to Sophie because it's really? the lyric all the things I love are going to leave me over this jangly hyperpop beat. Which is a tribute in its own way maybe you know she dedicated the whole record to Sophie she posted like some of the liner notes on her Instagram yeah. and I hadn't thought of that interpretation but that's a really beautiful reading of it. I know that Sophie had such a huge she's talked about this many times but huge influence on her music and life i think yeah so are you cool if we take this out on twice let's take it out on twice 
I love that. Okay, Owen Myers, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Louie. Yeah.